Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look out to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Davis, one of the UK's leading investment writers and author of the Investment Trust's Handbook. We're going to be looking back today at some of the main investment trust topics and themes of 2023, which of course are covered in the 2024 version of the Investment Trust Handbook, which will be published from the 12th of December. So Jonathan and me are going to discuss four topics, and they are the impact of rising interest rates, the hunt for bargains, tackling discounts, and industry consolidation. So Jonathan, let's start off with interest rates. As we know, in the UK, interest rates started rising from the end of 2021, which has caused a repricing of all risk assets. And in the investment trust world in particular, it's negatively impacted sentiment for alternative assets or specialist-focused investment trusts, especially those that investors have been mainly drawn to in order to pick up a certain level of income. So, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on this trend? And are there any other types of investment trusts that you would pick out as being hurt by those interest rate rises that have been happening? Well, it has been a very dramatic change in interest rate environment, as you say. And that's produced a lot of uh, losses on bonds and so on. The, the worst bear market in bonds, some people say, for uh, for many, many years. And of course, it has been, as you say, very directly had an impact on the investment trust sector. And you can see, if you look at the chart, you can see there's a perfect correlation almost between the, the movement in discounts overall across the investment trust sector and the uh, the movement in bond yields. So when interest rates are going up, the uh, discounts have been widening and, and investment trusts generally have been performing worse. And obviously, that's been the case until a, a couple of months ago when we had a change of direction, which we hope will be more permanent. But you're right, it has been the alternative assets have been most affected, but partly because many of them were, if we have to go back, you know, 10, 12 years after the global financial crisis, the reason they came to market was to provide an alternative income stream to uh, investors who no longer got any money from the bank or from the gilts that they might have owned. So that's gone into reverse. And therefore, a lot of money has gone out of the sector as people go back to those alternatives. Equity investment trusts have also sold off a little bit. Discounts there have widened a little bit as well, particularly among those which have done well when uh, interest rates were very low. They obviously went into reverse. Some of the growth capital, uh, growth style approach to investing. So, you know, the, the Scottish mortgages of this world and uh, one or two others, including uh, commercial property as well. I'll throw that into the mix as well. Small companies also badly affected. So, yeah, it's been pretty widespread. And of course, this time of year is when a lot of predictions are made about the year ahead. And in terms of interest rates, to me, it seems the consensus now is that, you know, some commentators think that interest rates will start to be slightly cut in 2024, potentially the second half of the year. But it looks like, you know, we're not going to go back to the days of having these historically low interest rates that, you know, we have for a very long time following the global financial crisis. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on the future direction of interest rates, particularly next year? And if they are cut, what types of investment trusts will in theory be among those that will benefit? You know, will we see those alternative assets Investment trusts that you know discounts are very wise. Will that potentially be a buying opportunity? Well, the second part of your question is much easier to answer than the first. That is to say, uh, to predict what will happen if interest rates do decline is much easier than to say whether they will decline. Uh, and there are two schools of thought out there, as there will always are in markets. It takes two to make a market. You're right. The consensus appears to be that we will start to get interest rate cuts next year. I'm not sure about that. The central banks are still trying to convince us that that won't necessarily happen because they're not convinced that inflation has been beaten. I mean, there's two cases really as to why interest rates might come down. One is that the central banks have done enough. Inflation is coming back to normal levels. The other is, though, that we're going to go into some kind of recession, severe recession slowdown. 
in which case we would see uh, interest rates could go all the way back down to uh, previously low levels, uh, but not for a good reason, if I can put it that way. So I don't know which of those it will be. A lot of people predict a recession this year. It hasn't happened. The US economy is still very strong. Even the UK economy seems to be doing better than many expected. So who knows? But interest rates work with a lag. We haven't seen the full impact of the higher rates that we've had so far. So I think it's, it's right to be cautious about the growth outlook. But it's, if you're right and interest rates do decline, then I think it's, it's fairly simple to say what will happen. Depends how far they go back down, of course. But um, yes, the alternatives will continue to do well. They've, they have recovered in the last you know, eight, nine weeks. They've recovered. And I think they will continue to do so. Even if interest rates stay at where they are at the moment, I think those, those alternative asset trusts will still do okay. But if they go down a lot, then they will benefit as they have uh, down the other side of the helter-skelter, if you like. And then, of course, a lot of other trusts will do well if interest rates come down provided it's not for recessionary reasons. So equity investor trusts would do well in general, particularly the uh, the kind of Scottish mortgages, those kind of things, if interest rates do come down for a good reason. But if they come down for a bad reason, then I think the, you want to be cautious about where the equity market will go. Let's now move on to the next theme, which is investment trust discounts. So this year on the On The Money podcast, we've had a couple of episodes dedicated to investment trust discounts, given that discount levels have, for most of this year, been at their widest level since the global financial crisis. That's for the average investment company. So um, the average investment company discount is in the mid-teens. We are back in June. Witten's Andrew Bell explained that you know he's finding some value opportunities among private equity trusts. And in more recent episodes, we've had quoted data's James Carfew, and fund manager Nick Greenwood of Migo Opportunities Trust. Both James and Nick picked out the investment trust discount opportunities they were both seeing at the time of those respective recordings. So do go back and check those episodes out. So what are your thoughts, Jonathan, on investment trust discounts? As of today, you know, in early December, are there any particular sectors or individual trusts that you would pick out as being potential bargains? Well, yes, I would. I mean, I would agree with uh, Nick Greenwood and, uh, and James Carthew. Certainly, you know, a couple of months ago, I started writing pieces saying this really does look like we've got to the bottom of the D rating that's been going on. And uh, therefore, that there will be opportunities because some things will be, shall we say, overpunished for different reasons, either because they're in the wrong space, like alternatives uh, and bonds and other alternatives look more attractive, or because their business models don't really respond very well to what's been happening in these rates. And we've seen that, you know, the tide's gone out a long way for as far as discounts are concerned. That has created an enormous number of opportunities. I mean, the general theme that I kind of wrote in my introduction to the Investment Trust Handbook this year, uh, which I had to complete just as the market was turning, I basically said that, you know, it's been a very bad time to be an investment trust investor in relative terms. The last two years have seen this dramatic derating, uh, but it's a very good time to become an investment trust investor uh, because of these discounts, which are offering, as you said, very attractive opportunities compared to where they have been historically and also compared to uh, the kind of growth potential we might see there. So in a sense, you could almost say, well, almost anything will do better if discounts come in. Uh, you know, anything in the investment trust world will do well. But I would, you know, pick out a number of areas. Yes, I would. You know, what I've been doing myself, I do think smaller companies look attractive. They're on very decent discounts for a good one that has performed poorly recently, something like Henderson's smaller companies. I think uh, also Aberforth for a value style. I think that's probably where we're going to be going in the next few years, value more than growth. What about the renewables? I think there's some very attractive opportunities in the renewables. I don't buy the story that they're a busted flush. UK Greencoat, UK Wind on a 12% discount. Some of the bigger property trusts, I like commercial property sector generally, but on some of the bigger ones, something like LXI on a 15% discount, 
they've been sold off not just because they're in property, but because they're very large and liquid. And uh, some of the larger institutions have been selling investment trusts, and they tend to go for the liquid ones first. So I like something like that. I do think it may be time to have another look at Scottish Mortgage. I mentioned them already. On a 13% discount, that's pretty attractive on a long-term basis. And some of the battery storage trusts, I think they look good. So yeah, there's plenty. Biotech, I mean, where else can I go? There's there's plenty of opportunities out there. So it's more a question of, you know, have you got enough money to um, to put your money back into the sector now, rather than what in particular is the best uh, place to put it. And are there any sectors or types of investment trusts that, you know, you would still steer clear of despite the discounts looking on paper, they're looking attractive and higher than usual? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of it depends about what you're, what kind of investor you are. I mean, are you uh, someone who's uh, looking for trading opportunities or are you someone who's actually a, a long-term investor? I mean, I think like most of us are who are investment trust investors. So, you know, I'm not too worried if there are, how would you say, quite fragile investment trusts, which have gone to very, very big discounts uh, and have questions over their balance sheets or their, their business models or whatever. You know, I'm happy to let those go. They may they may do very well. They may top the tables for a while, but I'm not going to go chasing after them because I'm more interested, general philosophy, you know, if you've got trust you've already identified as ones you like the general story, the long-term track record, you looked at what the manager does, and you can buy them at an, an above average discount, I'd rather go for those and keep them, buy and hold them than I would go, you know, putting my faith in something which may or may not do very well, uh, but where there are big question marks. For example, Hypnosis Songs Fund, uh, ticker SONG song. Uh, that's one where they've been this sort of corporate boardroom drama going on. Lots of questions about you know what the valuation is and so on, and and how can the uh, the board make progress from here? You know they've the shares have sold off substantially. They're on a huge discount, fifty percent or more. But I'm not going to go chasing after that because there's still too much uncertainty out there about that. And if it goes to you know they may get to eighty or ninety or something, but I've missed something. But I'm not going to lose sleep about that. I want to go for the things that I really want to own longer term. Uh, which are at a very attractive discount. That's my approach. Others may want to uh, to punt a little, but uh, that's up to them. And in terms of finding and identifying attractive discounts, as you've mentioned, I mean, one thing that you want to see is that the discount today is above the long-term average, say, you know, over the past year, three years, five years. I think it's also important to bear in mind that over time, investment trust discounts, they tend to converge more to their mean discount rather than to go back towards the net asset value, the NAV. Is there anything you'd add to that, Jonathan? Well, I think that's generally true. I mean, that's a good observation to make. And if you just track it on a chart or something, you can see where uh, discounts have gone back to sort of average levels. Um, but there are sort of special factors here as well. Maybe what's happening at the moment, we've seen quite a lot of uh, agitation by investors to get boards to do more. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But if it's a case where actually this, if you like, the uh, the really tough times we've had in the last 18 months or so, have actually prompted the boards to take more decisive action than they would otherwise do. There may be some examples where trust can actually go back to a sort of permanently higher level of discount than they have in the past. And that would be a positive, of course. It means the boards are taking more attention of what shareholders want. So, you know, uh, misery brings its own reward sometimes. That might be a case. But in general terms, you're right. I mean, once somebody gets back to around a mean discount, well, it still can be an attractive thing to buy. But it's not necessarily going to give you that uh, double whammy of uh, a narrowing discount and you know strong NAV performance. And you've just touched on in terms of tackling discounts, which is the third theme we're going to discuss. Now, one way an investment trust board can attempt to rein in a discount is through share buybacks. Jonathan, do you think boards are being proactive enough on this front, or indeed have they been in 2023? It's hard to tell. It's a mixed story, I would say. 
I mean, you have to bear in mind that it does take time for sort of boards to get their act together and to decide to do something. And that's only fair. You know, they might have thought the discounts were temporary. But I think in general, you can say that, yes, they have been a bit slow. You know, that's unfortunately the way the world works. They have been a bit slow to go after share buybacks in a number of cases. And it's not necessarily um, the perfect thing to do for a board. There are lots of other factors they need to take into account. But I do think generally, yeah, it's been a wake-up call for a lot of boards. And now that we've seen some activist investors, you know, the likes of Saba Capital, come into the sector and try to kind of force boards into doing uh, more decisive things, I think that's been a, another wake-up call as well. So I think, you know, they get there in the end. You know, there is a sort of Darwinian process here. <laughs> the boards will get there, get there in the end if it is the right solution for them. But they have been, I'm sure, a little bit on the slow side, yeah. And of course, it's also important to bear in mind that share buybacks, they're no panacea. To improve sentiment towards an investment trust, its performance ultimately needs to do the talking for it. Would you agree with that, Jonathan? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Of course, it's not a panacea. There are certain, it all depends what kind of uh, state your, your investment trust is. I mean, there are other things you can do other than share buybacks. And that's been one of the kind of themes of this year, I think has been Boar's debate in looking at the various options they have in an attempt to reduce the discount or simply as, as good you know, corporate management, good governance, if you like. So you could, you know, you can uh, do something about your balance sheet if your balance sheet is stretched. You can use any capital you've got to, or any, any cash you've got to spare to, uh, to pay back debt. Or in certain cases where you think you've still got really good attractive investment propositions, you can reinvest that money rather than do a share buyback. And share buybacks, you're right. I mean, in the short term, they don't necessarily have an immediate Im- impact on the share price, because the reason the discount is wide is because there are more sellers and buyers or no buyers in many cases. So it, just to buying them back in itself doesn't necessarily do much. It can be, it does, it is, you know, mildly accretive to NAV. So you can argue that's, that's a good thing. But it also, of course, increases your ongoing management costs. So, uh, you know, you can look at it both ways. But I think where you've got a chronic shortage of demand and the discount is very wide, then it does make sense. And your balance sheets are not in terrible state and you are probably can't find investment opportunities that are, will give you a better return than buying back your shares, then I think you should do it. And that's if only to tell your shareholders that you've actually noticed that the discount is very wide and that some of them are suffering as a result and you're you know, taking a due uh, cognizance of the fact that they are trading at a discount and you don't want to uh, give the impression that you don't really give a damn. And the final topic we're going to cover off, which you know is a, such a big topic we could probably have devoted the whole episode to, is industry consolidation. So, Jonathan, it feels like to me that in 2023, I mean, I've not got the figures to sort of prove this, but it does feel like there's been a lot more mergers and closures of investment trusts than usual. What are your thoughts on this, Jonathan? And could you talk us through the main reasons behind why this industry consolidation is happening? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is happening. I think we've seen about, uh, you know, getting on for around 10 mergers this year, which is uh, very high by historical standards. And it is, as I said, part of this Darwinian process by which if you run into a bad period for investment trust, and we've just been through one, then you need to take a good look at the at your trust and see whether it's got a future or not. And uh, it may not have a future because it's too small. We've heard a lot about, uh, you know, wealth managers and others uh, needing larger vehicles to invest in these days. There's truth in that, but not... Uh, I don't think quite as dramatically as some say. But you've also got to look at your potential growth opportunities, particularly if you can't, if you're trading at a discount and you can't actually raise new equity to fund your next investments, then I think you need to look very carefully at that and decide whether, you know, your trust really has got a viable future or not, whether you can get that demand back or not. And I think that's um, that's a key question. I mean, some trusts, I think, will decide that there's, if they're not going to be able to raise equity, they're just not going to be able to get to a size 
or to produce the kind of returns that their investors want. So they should be looking at consolidation. In other cases, we've seen someone like Aberdeen with their trust, they're, they're making a conscious effort to rationalize their portfolio for a variety of business reasons, uh, as well as the specific ones relating to their trusts. And if you've got a small cap and a mid-cap trust or you know something which is fairly similar, it does make sense to do that. We've seen that uh, consolidation also in the Japanese sector, where you know, two of the smaller Japanese trusts have, have merged with Nippon Active Value. And that seems to be very sensible. So yes, I think it's inevitable, first of all, that there will be consolidation. We're going to see a number of trusts disappear, unfortunately. But uh, you know, if they haven't got a future, we don't want them. Unlike in the open-ended world, where open-ended funds until recently could go on forever without, without uh, anybody doing anything to put the situation right. Uh, I think there'll be more next year, I'm sure about that, triggered either by activist investors or by continuation votes or by fear of continuation votes coming up. Uh, yes, yeah, so we'll see plenty more because the reasons, uh, as, as I've said, are, you know, they're going to continue for a while. In terms of the size of an investment trust, is there a sort of amount that you have in your head where you think, actually, if they don't start raising more assets, then that's probably not going to be viable in the future? Yes, there are a lot of figures banded around for what that should be. Some of the bigger Wealth managers institutions say 500 million now is the kind of minimum you need in order to uh, to become a viable trust. Well, that may be right. I mean, I I would just remind people though that you know a lot of trusts that uh, we see today have done very well, raised money, expanded. They all started off as small trusts. So I think that we've got to think get the right balance between encouraging more good fund managers and good business models to come to the investment trust market for all the reasons that we know why we like investment trusts. We've got to encourage a continued flow of new arrivals in due course. We haven't seen any for a couple of years, obviously. But at the same time, we've got to be uh, realistic. And uh, yes, if you're somewhere in the sort of 150 to 300 million, you, you probably should be taking a look at whether you are have got a long-term viable future, particularly if you're doing something which is broadly similar to what somebody else is doing and you're not doing it as well as they are. So yes, I would expect to see more, more consolidation. My thanks to Jonathan, and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.